Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Brian Castle. Today, we will do a full review of where we stand. Uh, we have to talk about the virus, what's happening in the world, and then how that's really affecting us financially, what we see and what we expect to see in the future, and what we plan to do about it. So anyway, no interviews today. We'll be back with lots of guests going forward. There'll be a lot of interesting subjects to discuss as we come out of this recovery. With me today, of course, is uh, is our trusty guest, our regular uh, co-host, Chris Reardon. Mr. Chris Reardon. How's everyone doing out there? Glad to be here. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Chris is a newly married man, and he's uh, our four-star development director, uh, master of all things portfolio trading reports. He still loves his Cleveland Indians, and as we've seen on many Zoom casts lately, a caretaker of his golden doodle puppy, Hudson, and Chris was raised near the Factory of Sadness in Cleveland. Uh, welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Glad to be here. Excited to uh, talk about some of the markets and what's going on. And I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth. I'm an Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, charter advisor of philanthropy, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief investment officer of this firm. I'm, I'm dad to Quinn and Evan, husband to the amazing Tripti, and uh, we're not going to talk about our football uh, teams at this point. Uh, uh, that's so far away right now, so we'll no talk of football now. But welcome, uh, everybody, to the podcast. Uh, Chris, there's a lot to talk about, so why don't we, why don't we just get into it? Um, Let's first talk about the elephant that's in everyone's room, which is this virus. Uh, obviously, we need to protect people from transmission. Uh, Chris, you've been doing some work on the decline in the cases and states beginning to open. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, right now, I think even going back a week now, we're, we, we were starting to see preliminary signs that we may have hit the apex and we're starting to see a decline. Um, so, um, it's positive now, and that would actually we're, we're starting to see that process occur with the statistics and the, the numbers coming out right now, and that would actually lend to what we saw out of China, which anything really that the numbers we get wise out of China you have to take with a grain of salt, but also also what we've seen out of Italy and some of the European countries, which is a six to eight week uh, period uh, where we have an apex usually between that six to eight eighth week. So hopefully with what we're seeing, we're we're actually past the apex. We're kind of on the decline. Uh, for most of the country, which is positive. We're coming into summer. Um, most people have kind of speculated that we're going to see um, a let up from the virus over the summer. So that, that's that's kind of in, in accordance with what we've seen. Um, but with that now, we're starting to have kind of what people are deeming the reopening. Um, so we've had a couple states um, start the process of reopening. I think it was led by Georgia. We had South Carolina. Texas and Ohio, I think, is May 1st. They're starting to reopen some businesses. So um, Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is another one. Um, you know, I, I think the key with this, um, any of these states are going to run into challenges. Um, there's, there's certainly going to be um, not only challenges from um, a kind of a sanitary standpoint and standardization standpoint, like you said, Brian, to make sure that safety is still there. Um, but also, I think, from, you know, what we've seen – happen from kind of even a federal and unemployment standpoint, um, a lot of the federal government bumped up unemployment benefits um, pretty, pretty dramatically. And what we're seeing in some states is uh, certain people can make more money on unemployment than they can 
at least in the short term, and on unemployment, they're going back to their uh, minimum wage or low income jobs. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, in some of these states, even if people can go back to work, do they want to go back to work? What businesses are going to open? How are they going to deal with opening? So there, there certainly are going to be challenges that need to be faced and need to be addressed. Um, and it's not only going to be with these states, but with the rest of the states as they as they reopen. So um, I think everyone's kind of looking at these states that are reopening first and kind of going to take notes. Um, and if, but if it goes successfully, um, it's certainly going to put pressure on on other states to kind of start the process of reopening as well, um, if they can. Well, and likely we're going to learn an awful lot. We really haven't had a pandemic here since I believe what 1918 that's really affected America to the extent that this one has. So uh, we were kind of unprepared. Uh, we didn't have a coordinated ex response. Um, you know, most of the with the current leaders on, on all sides of the aisle were saying things in January and February that they regret. Uh, we did things that maybe we regret. So now we're doing things, maybe we're overdoing it now. Uh, so, so there's a lot of things we're going to learn. You know, I was hearing an Asian strategist talk about why South Korea and Vietnam did much better with this than America. You know, clearly they're different societies. There's certainly obviously geography and uh, population uh, numbers there, but Vietnam's had no deaths, only 300 cases, and they rushed people off to uh, uh, camps, uh, you know, quarantine camps. So instead of, um, you know, quarantining everyone, they quarantined the sick people. Maybe we need to look at that. Uh, so we're going to get a lot more experience with this. Um, they've had more control over their society. America has a free and open society with 50 states and 50 governors. Maybe that, you know, in the short run didn't help us that well. Uh, so we need to take a good look at this and maybe come up with a more coordinated strategy. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people have lost their life through this whole thing, but uh, due to some of the efforts, we've been able to minimize it. Um, and Chris, you know, they, they talk about where the virus has started and who's responsible. So I'm sure we'll take a closer look at that. Uh, they definitely think that the virus was, was founded in a lab in China. There's no evidence that that is the virus that came out, however. Uh, so the State Department is voicing concerns all through the fall. Uh, but they also were, you know, the federal government was funding the research. So uh, there's a lot of really weird situations and weird circumstances that somebody's going to have to dig through. We deal with finance. Uh, you know, everybody seems to be kind of an armchair biologist these days. We're going to not try to do that, uh, but we definitely know that they need a better response than what we went through. Uh, there's all kinds of stories of the Chinese government interfering. People who were involved have now disappeared. I mean, there's a lot of weird things happening. Uh, so all we know is what has it done to America? What has it done to affect the finance world that we operate in for the good of our, our clients and our investors? So maybe we should just turn now, Chris, to the markets. Sounds good. Yep. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll talk briefly about kind of what our positioning is. Usually we kind of run through uh, from an asset allocation perspective what we're seeing. Um, so a little bit similar to what probably the last time we spoke on this podcast, uh, but we're starting to see some encouraging trends in some uh, certain asset classes. Uh, so we still have cash sitting at the uh, number one spot at 264 tally points, uh, followed by fixed income at 262 tally points. Um, currencies is in the number three at 189. So we have a bit of a drop there between after one and two, three has dropped down a little bit. Uh, domestic equities is in the number four spot at 180 tally points. 
Uh, commodities is in fifth with 121 tally points, and international equities is in last place or sixth at 71 tally points. Uh, but some of the encouraging trends uh, that I was mentioning prior is we're starting to see some slow um, inklings of some movement up from domestic equities and international equities. Um, we're starting to see, you know, probably flat to maybe a little bit turned down from the top uh, two to three asset classes. So um, that's encouraging to see. Uh, the first kind of movement we'd like, we'd like to see is domestic equity uh, move into third spot, into the third position from the fourth position. It's only nine points away now. Uh, so yeah. that, that can certainly happen. Uh, but then from there, we have a little bit of uh, distance between the, the one and two aspect classes. So um, the trends are, we're starting to see some inklings of, of, of encouraging trends. Um, if the market kind of continues, uh, we hope to see that continue. Uh, but there's still a lot of unknowns out there. I, I think that's right, Chris. If we can get the, the U.S. stocks into the third position, then we're start, starting to normalize the normal lineup of what the asset classes look like in normal times. 80 to 85 percent of the time, the markets are slow volatility and rising, and then 15 percent or so of the time, we're in panic mode and, and sell-off mode and volatility mode, and that's what we've been in, you know, since basically mid-March. So uh, now we're ending basically, this is October, or I'm sorry, April 28th. We're ending April, going into May, and uh, we've been through that volatility period for about six weeks now. But uh, hopefully things start to get better. Um, we talked in the past about VIX, Chris, and the volatility index, and that was stubbornly high for a couple of weeks. Well, now it's starting to break down into the 30s. The normal VIX volatility index readings have been between anywhere between 10 and 20 in normal markets, uh, showing the normal volatility of the market. So if we can get the volatility below 20 back into back into the teens, uh, you know that would be very positive. And then then the markets would be operating kind of in a normal, uh, what we call backwardation, a normal normal pattern. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's what we see right right there. And the economy, that's going to be very interesting. Um, the expectation now, as a GDP now from the Atlanta Fed, is the first quarter will be negative one. But I think it's really hard to even know whether that's an accurate number. We should hear the preliminary number for GDP this week. And because a lot of the changes in the economy have happened so rapidly, uh, there are normally two revisions that happen after every GDP number is released. So I think those revisions are going to be key because I bet they really can't even calculate GDP as, as well because of all the turmoil that's happened, all the businesses that have closed, all the layoffs that have happened. So we're going to get a GDP number this week for the first quarter of this year. It's going to be a negative number, but it could be wildly inaccurate. So the next couple of GDP announcements, they'll revise the first quarter number. So we'll have to keep watching to see what we expect. And then GDP now is expecting negative 4% for the year. Uh, they're also talking of a much worse quarter, the second quarter. So, <clears throat> Chris, you know, we always talk in terms of uh, the a recession by the Association of Business Economists is two quarters in a row of negative growth. So the first quarter will be the first quarter uh, of, of 2020 will be a negative growth quarter. And most likely, unless we have an amazing V-shaped recovery into May and June, most likely we'll see the second quarter uh, also negative, and then in hindsight, we'll have known that we were in a recession. Pretty clear we're in a recession now. Uh, I know most people's credit card spending is half what it was, and uh, we'll talk about oil, a lot of other weird things that have been going on. Um, 
We do expect a big third quarter recovery, however, and then the fourth quarter, things more things come to light, and the economy will be a lot better. So, yeah, and I, the one thing I would say is, um, and we've talked about this, I think the last time, and maybe even the time prior, is, you know, we're still going to see we're we're having earnings season with companies has really kind of been going on for the last week to two weeks now. Um, most of the earnings, I don't think there's been any major surprises. A lot of companies have pulled their their year forecasts, which would make sense because so much has been disrupted over the last couple months. Um, but you know, they're gonna earnings are gonna come in less, and a lot of companies are gonna slash, if not get rid of their dividend payments, um, which is gonna you know anger some you know investors that like to count on those dividends. Uh, but that's to really be expected. Um, and I think you know what we're gonna see the next couple months is continuation of slashing or eliminating dividends, we're going to see some bankruptcies ripple through the markets. And we've already seen, seen some um, kind of stories behind JCPenney possibly filing for bankruptcy. Um, and then oil companies, I think offshore oil was already getting ready to file for bankruptcy as well. So yeah. there's definitely going to be a, um, you know, a spur over the next couple of months of bankruptcies that come out and um, some uh, dividends that, be, that are going to be cut. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it's, I think that's to be expected. Um, you know, you don't like to see it, but it's definitely part of what happened over the last couple of months. It's, it's a reaction to what, what, what happened prior. Um, so, you know, I think that's another thing that I hope investors don't get too caught up in because, uh, you know, looking at what, what occurred, it's, it's something that we, you know, you can kind of predict to a degree. Well, and Chris, China announced their first quarter number already now. If we take a whole month with really good systems in America to announce our, our GDP number, and it takes another couple of weeks for us to do it, uh, you know, how, how accurate are the Chinese numbers? Now, everyone's been questioning whether any of the Chinese numbers are accurate at all. But ironically, they announced that the quarter first quarter was negative 6.8%. And I remember uh, it just hit me when I saw that number because the first thing that hit me was that the, the 6.8 number was a number we've heard a number of times for the positive side of GDP. So I, I immediately thought, well, maybe they took the put a negative in front of it, or is that the same number? Why is that the same number? It didn't seem to make sense to me. And I thought, did somebody really just flip the number from positive to negative? Sounds crazy, but the way the Chinese operate, maybe not. I think it's hard to believe that within two weeks they could get a an accurate GDP number. We don't hear revisions out of the Chinese, so it is what it is. So I think you take that with a grain of salt. Uh, the Chinese economy collapsed in the first quarter. They had the full effect before we did. So uh, I guess take it for what it's worth. Their GDP was negative 6.8, and previous quarters were positive 6.8, so we'll see where that goes. But we continue to see uh, some serious uh, bad effects in this era about layoffs, Chris, right? Yeah, we continue to see um, Boeing, I know, announced layoffs. Several major companies, um, especially in the leisure industry, um, have announced some layoffs. Um, I know, or Brian, I think you had mentioned, was it uh, TJ Maxx? Was yes, 300,000 people laid off all at once. Uh, uh, Best Buy laid off 50,000 employees. Apple is, is uh, furloughing people from slow production. You You knew about Boeing, Chris, right? Yeah, Boeing, like you said, Boeing did, uh, you know, cuts, especially in the manufacturing. Although on the bright side, I think it's in South Carolina, they're starting to ramp up production on the 737 slightly again. So Boeing is at least starting to recover a little bit from a manufacturing perspective. But I know from 
uh, both the corporate and manufacturing. I think they did about a, across the board almost 10% uh, cut there. So yeah. uh, pretty significant. Yeah, and then 20, 20 million, over 20 million people have applied for unemployment. Uh, we've never seen numbers like that. So now the good news, however, is that most of the unemployment uh, notices that the companies have sent to the government they're required to do as compared to the 2008-2009 period when those unemployment numbers were deemed to be permanent because it was a serious long-term economic problem in America that really did take us quite a number of years to recover from. This one was deemed to be short-term due to this virus and uh, over 90% of the, of the, uh, un the uh, layoffs were announced to be part-time and not necessarily permanent. So many of those people will come back, but there will be some lingering effects. One of the most famous restaurant companies in Chicagoland, for example, is talking about permanently closing some of their famous restaurant concepts that weren't doing as well as we came into this environment and they're, they're just not gonna, gonna reopen them. So there, there's gonna be some casualties in the business world, not uh, ca obviously casualties in the real uh, people, but the business world casualties will be there as well. Um, mm -hmm. Chris, the other thing we saw was the state governments. You know, now state governments are looking for cash to keep things going. You know, I do find it ironic, however, that uh, while there's, you know, 20 million people that have applied for unemployment, you know, many state governments haven't laid off or furloughed anyone. So they're keeping the, they're keeping all the employees at state level. And, you know, it does seem a little odd that, that uh, the regular people out there paying all the taxes are the ones that have to fund state employees that are not laid off. Uh, we have to keep funding and keep them in their job, but they're losing their own job. So there's a lot of inequities there, don't make sense. Um, then also certain states, including our home state here in Illinois, are asking for much more than just their budget shortfall. 15 billion was the budget shortfall suggestion from the state Senate president in Illinois, but they're asking for a total of 40 billion. That's the cover up for the mistakes of previous. They're, they've got huge pension problems, states like Illinois, uh, Connecticut, uh, New York, uh, California. Uh, so they're asking for big money from the government. Certainly our state was, and that's not right. I know the Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin had said there's gonna be no bailout. So almost all of the money besides the $1,200 check sent to folks has been in the form of loans where certain things have to happen. The PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, they have to do certain things and then maybe that, that loan is, is relieved but it's a loan, it's not a giveaway, and if you don't perform the way the government wants you to for the money, they would uh, turn it into a loan and make you pay it back. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of weird things going on out there, Chris. Yeah, and I mean, I think whenever you have, I guess you could describe it as chaos to a degree, with you know the government trying to, as quickly and as efficiently as possible, get money into the hands of people that need it, um, companies and businesses that need it, um, you have people that try to take advantage of those situations, um, whether it's on the state level or on the, uh, you know, business or company level. Uh, we've seen, I'm sure several of our listeners have seen over the past, um, that several um, publicly traded companies have filed for the PPP small business loan, uh, the Paycheck Protection, um, and, you know, the government came back and pretty much, you know, told them they have to either return the money or it's, you know, there's just going to be a loan and they're going to have to repay it back. I think the one of the most famous ones was the Los Angeles Lakers, which filed for four point, or which received, they, they filed for the PPP loan and received 4.8 million in uh, benefits 
um, that could have gone to small businesses or restaurants or people that, that didn't get any of any of it. So um, you're going to have any of these businesses try to um, take advantage or, you know, get as much money as they can that might not necessarily need it or you know, be deserving to a degree um, yeah. due to past incompetences. Yes. Well, and then uh, another really interesting thing that's happened is the oil market. So oil traded at negative 40. So how can how can a commodity trade at a negative price? Well, you know, when you have a commodity and you have to store that commodity, like oil has to be stored in a big tanker uh, offshore or big tankers onshore, uh, you know, they have a cost to carry. So they were actually offering to pay someone part of what their storage costs would have been because it would be cheaper than paying the storage costs. So they're actually paying you to take their oil. And I, I was recount, recounting back in the days about a decade ago when people were talking about the concept of peak oil, meaning we've now extracted as much oil as we possibly can out of our natural resources and oil prices were going to go up forever. So that, that didn't work. <laughs> so now peak oil has gone to negative oil and they're, get, they're, they're paying you money to take oil. Now I think the, the oil markets are normalizing now a little bit, uh, but if this goes on for too long where there's no driving season, we might see Oil, oil companies paying you to take their oil again. We'll see. Uh, so a lot of strange things. Uh, earnings season is upon us, and so far most of the earnings that have been coming out, they're bad, but they're right in line with what the worst-case scenario had been planned. So the markets are going back down to a little bit lower volatility, not gyrating as much. The second quarter is really the worry, Chris, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the second quarter... Um, is going to be depending on how long this goes, um, but it seems like New York at least it's going to drag on at least another month because um, it was one of the hardest hit, if not the hardest hit, um, in the end of it. So um, New York's obviously a big driver of the uh, you know major of a lot of the major companies, a lot of consumption. So um, yeah, I think Q2 is going to be the worry as of right now. Q1 numbers are going to be bad, um, but I think Q2 hopefully will be kind of the bottom from an earning standpoint. And what we'd be hopefully looking for is in Q3 uh, seeing a positive trend or a movement upwards. Well, there are a lot of, yeah, and there's a lot of positive things happening. The uh, NFL had their draft last weekend and, uh, you know, clearly uh, we don't have as much to do. We're all watching Netflix and, and Amazon Prime and things like that. So, so many people had nothing to do that they, what record levels of viewers watch the NFL draft. They learned how to do it remotely. And it kind of reminds me of when I was uh, young in the 60s where there were just a couple of uh, networks and everyone watched those couple networks. Everything was very homogenous. Uh, the country was much more homogenous. And, uh, you know, everyone was watching the same channel. It's for, for a short time there, it felt like everyone was watching the NFL draft. Uh, or or Netflix for that matter, but anyway, uh, and then there was the Last Dance, Chris. You watch that? Yeah. So uh, I mean, it's, I think it's incredible that you know when you starve a country that's so used to almost constant sports, you know, there's always some sport going on or sporting event. Um, we're so used to that that once you starve people of it, what they'll do for you know any type of sporting entertainment. So you had the draft, and then the biggest thing was ESPN released I think earlier than they had expected. Uh, was the last dance, which was kind of, um, I think it recaps the 1998 Bulls. It was the last Michael Jordan um, championship season run uh, that they went on, I want to say. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it dissects the team. Yeah. yeah, it dissects the team. It goes into kind of the beginning with Jordan and 
and the beginning years of Jordan with the Bulls, what the Bulls were like before Jordan and what he, when he initially got there. And also delves into some of the famous uh, kind of co-stars with him, with Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and all of them. So um, really fascinating. For If you haven't watched it, I'd highly recommend it. It's really fascinating. I think it's a 10-part series. They're releasing two every Sunday. So I think they've released four episodes now with six more to come. Well, and then we all learned how to do Zoom conferences here in the last few weeks, record levels of Zoom conferences. Uh, for years, people would be invited to conferences, and then, and then they wouldn't get their camera together. Now everybody's getting their camera on their iPad and their phone and their computer. So we're doing family conferences and other, other groups and friend groups and companies and divisions and executive teams. Everybody's doing Zoom conferences. So uh, we've learned a lot of new things. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's some positive things to be taken from this. Well, Chris, yep. let's, uh, let's wrap it up from here. You know, clearly uh, we're going to lose some more people who are already sick to the coronavirus. Uh, some people will, would have normally passed on on their own. Maybe the coronavirus will cause them to pass on more quickly. We'll see. Uh, we wish everyone the best. Obviously, we want this whole thing to, to wrap up. Uh, we will learn as a country how to handle pandemics. We did definitely probably need a better strategy. We got a punch in the face. Now we have to get up off the mat, dust ourselves off, and create a new plan for America should this thing ever happen again once everything is finally settled. So from our perspective, have the markets bottomed? Uh, when the 18,000s, now we're in the 24,000s? Well, they might. We're not really sure. If the economy that takes another turn down or things are much worse than expected in the second quarter, yes, we could see the markets go back down. So we've reinvested about half of the cash that we raised in, in, um, in March, uh, anticipating the possible recovery. But if things turn down, we'll execute our plan to get out of those positions and hold that cash uh, and wait for a further bottom lower. We're hoping the bottom already happened. We just don't know, but we know what we'll do when we see it. Uh, the good news is that spring is here. Uh, if we had to come out of a pandemic into winter, that would be even worse. So that's a good positive thing. And uh, going forward, the Four Star podcast will continue on. We'll do more interviews now going forward on different subjects about the recovery, finance, other, other American subjects. Um, and also, just a, by way of reminder, uh, Four Star podcast has now gone national. We're on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts. So tell your friends to subscribe. Uh, all the people that are listening now, most of the people listening now uh, have been getting an email to link, but you can also go on there and get it to download into your phone in Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So um, thanks, everybody, for another great podcast. Thanks for being with us. Uh, so uh, why don't we call it here, Chris, huh? Yep, sounds good. Take care, everyone, and uh, stay safe. So for Chris Reardon, the four-star staff all across the country, that's it for today. We'll be back shortly with some new information. Thanks, everybody, and stay safe.